so um, reflections this evening uh, I always used to notice when uh, with Lumpo Cha that when he uh, you know we'd be requested to give a desana and then he'd go into the high seat the tamat and then uh, he was usually very kind of uh, radiant uh, uh, kind of charismatic appearance but when he sat up on the tamad he just seemed to go empty and he uh, I noticed that like just uh, kind of a vacant look which baffled me because uh, I didn't quite understand at that time what, what he was doing but he'd sit and then then from this vacant place would come a uh, a desana or a reflection and he, when he asked me to start giving talks in, in Thai uh, of course I was uh, I wasn't that confident in speaking uh, that language at all but he just said just you know, you've been practicing several years, uh, you know, tell them what you've learned. <laughs> and so, and then uh, one time I prepared a talk, I thought, you know, he said not to prepare anything, just let it come naturally. So, uh, one one time I got really interested, I read this book by Lama Govinda, uh, Mr. Tibetan mysticism and I got very inspired by it and so I and in one of these all night sittings at Pudindang I gave this incredibly intelligent well constructed talk and as soon as I got down from the tamat he said don't ever do that again Another kind of character is one, you know, like, you know, I'm a person that that likes to plan things out, and and uh, this is how I was educated to to you know prepare and and come from uh, some kind of theme or or whatever that I think is appropriate, and and then speak from that theme. But with Lung Ho Cha, he was he was more interested in speaking from the empty mind from the from the from the here and now and of course that is uh, easy enough to say but how do you do it because we we always see ourselves in a, in these very fixed terms of personality and uh, you know our identities with our appearance with our bodies and and our uh, memories and tendencies and attitudes and so forth so this is uh, this of course is the greatest obstruction uh, to understanding Dhamma is this Sakya Ditti and Sakya Ditti in the, in the ten fetters uh, the Sanyojanas in Pali are, you know, the first three uh, I have been emphasizing a lot because I see how important it is uh, to recognize the first three fetters which completely blind us to the path 
of liberation. As long as our practice is motivated, influenced, and propelled by Sakyaditi Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicha, then, you know, we can spend years meditating and going on retreats and, and going off and living alone and doing all kinds of things. But if we don't break through the illusions of those first three fetters, then with all good intentions uh, and and uh, determination, we won't see the path, in other words. So then, the <coughs> and this is very clearly spelled out in the scriptures, the first three fetters are the hindrances or the obstructions to stream entry. And then stream entry is that point where we actually know the path. Yeah, you know, through direct recognition rather than through views about it or ideas or even thinking about it. It's not a thought, not a concept, not a perception. It's an insight. And so because of this, then I I used to, Sakyaditi, take that one because that's the first one, translated like this, the self-view, the ego, uh, the identities we have with uh, with our five khandhas and how we see ourselves is programmed into us. So we we have these, you know, we're not born with sakyaditi. It's not a kind of condition uh, that it just naturally appears at birth. It's instilled in us after we're born. So we we get an idea of ourselves in relationship to our mother and father, uh, brothers, sisters, and society, culture. <clears throat> and so that's the conditioning process. Like the uh, vijnana taught is, is uh, natural. It's not a cultural condition. It's not sakyaditi. The human bodies we have they're natural conditions. And they were born according to the laws of nature and then they grow and get old and die according to the laws of nature. And then the Vedana also is, uh, you know, is natural to this realm. We live in a sensitive form uh, with, you know, the whole body is a, is a sense organ plus the eyes, ears, nose, tongue. And then we also have this um, ability to uh, we have a uh, retentive memory we retain things we remember so we can be easily conditioned and influenced by first of all our parents or uh, peers when we're growing up and the situation we're born into and of course the values and sense of self-worth and identity comes from that from you know how we how we're conditioned in those early years to see ourselves in relationship to the world around us from uh, you know an innocent uh, child's mind. But uh, the sakyaditi is you know is is instilled in us in the early years, and the sita paramasa is is like cultural 
conventions, conditioning, social attitudes, um, our particular identities that we have, and information we get just being born in the various ethnic group or national group or racial, the gender, and all these are not necessarily sakyaditi, but are instilled in us through that conditioning process. And in which ikicha is a result, is a, is doubt, which means uh, is a result of always attachment to thought. As long as we attach to our thinking process, we're never quite sure. We're, we always end up with doubt as the result. Now these are to be investigated. I mean, you just can't suddenly dismiss them or get rid of them, but you know, they're there. They're, they're, I, I found this formula, 10 is very useful because it, it, it states something that you can reflect on. How do, how do you create yourself as a person? How do you create Sakyaditi? If it's not coming from outside, it's not David Oz or or influences from outside. It's not anything, but it's how we, you know, very thoughts we have, the language, the memories, the identities, uh, the sense of me and mine. Um, I am, you are. It goes into the, all the the personal pronouns and the and the identity, the sense of mine. This is my Sankati, this is my Chiwan. And of course on a conventional level, fair enough. But this sense of me and mine and I am and then you and we uh, and they, all these come from a conditioning process. And whatever your native language is, you, 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 that's the one that you you're conditioned by in the early years. So thinking, you know, when you think, we we have to use language. So we we uh, cling to thoughts and memories, values, principles, attitudes, uh, conventions, as well as emotional memories, uh, fear, hatred, delusion, jealousy. We identify with all these. We identify with with our sexual drive, we identify with our moods and feelings. In other words, this identity is like a clinging to these conventions, to these uh, uh, conditions. And it's done out of ignorance. It's not that we do it, you know, with full knowledge and wisdom. It's out of ignorance that, that we become conditioned and blinded and limited by the very conditions that that we are attached to and identify with. So just contemplate, you know, reflect on the power of your language, or just just the the pronoun I I am. I used to contemplate that in my mind. It's like it's it's a fair enough statement because it's a statement of presence. It's not, you know, when I just think. The, the personal pronoun I am I'm, I'm announcing a state of being present but it's still not a person yet is it? it's just a, 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 
a statement of presence. <clears throat> and then I add the personal bits. I am Ajahn Sumedho, I am American, I am a bhikkhu, and on and on like that. And I'm a good bhikkhu, I'm not a very good bhikkhu, I'm senior bhikkhu, or whatever. <laughs> and the whole thing, then you form this sense of yourself uh, but this this I am is also a conditioning uh, that we acquire, and then uh, then my thoughts, my views, my opinions, my life, my rights, what I think, uh, this is mine. It belongs to me, and so we create a whole world around this illusion of a separate self and and this identity with I am, me and mine. Now, I'm not expecting you to believe this, but what encouragement here is to investigate. Because it's something you can you can actually investigate in, in consciousness, like at this moment. All you have to do is think I am, and that's, you know, there's an awareness of this in deliberate thinking, these two words. So, I am is not a kind of fixed position or a permanent state. It's merely a convention of language that can be observed. But attachment to thought always takes us into I am Ajahn Sumato and I'm good, bad, right, wrong, and on and on like that. And then then I create a whole sense of myself uh, according to values of good and bad, right and wrong, according to memories, according to ideas of what should be, according to memories of maybe things I've done that I shouldn't have done, things I've done in the past that I feel guilty about. The whole sense of a self arises from this attachment to the thinking process. So then, uh, to stop thinking, I mean, we're usually so conditioned to think, we're, we're called uh, manusia, or creatures that think, that have <laughs> we have, and it is, it can be a curse, and it's also a blessing. It's how to use our thinking abilities uh, through wisdom that the Buddha, uh, his teachings are about learning to think in the right way, learning to use thought in a skillful way rather than just be conditioned to think like a Buddhist or think like uh, the scriptures or think according to a, a conditioning process that comes out of avicca or ignorance. So this word avicca is very important because it means not knowing Dhamma, not recognizing reality. It's not about not being able to read and write or ignorance of all kinds of things, but it, this avicca means not being awake and operating from a program that you acquired uh, and, and not being able to see what you're doing, what you're grasping. So then, of course, uh, that leads to suffering, and uh, and that's what we experience in our lives: is suffering.
So, you know, because we are obsessed thinkers, then we tend to try to think ourselves out of, through the Dhamma and how to think about Nibbana or think about Anatta or think about the path or think about, uh, you know, the uh, Dhamma as something we've got to define, something we, we've got to identify through perception. So the Buddha, recognizing the, the dilemmas that human beings have, you know, used the, the actual uh, reality of suffering as a noble truth uh, because it's something easily seen. It's not esoteric or arcane or remote or special. I mean, we all suffer in, in all kinds of ways uh, because of this ignorance. This ignorance is the cause of all suffering. So in the Paticca Samupada, Paticca Samupada, you know, it starts out with a vicha bhajaya sankara, and then it ends with, and it all ends up with sokapari teva tukatomana nupaya, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. So if, if every thought, every movement, everything you do, starts with a vicha, the result is always going to be dukkha, is the result of a vicha influences vicha vajaya sankara. In other words, this a vicha influences your thoughts and how you see uh, yourself, your memories. Sankara vajaya vinyana, consciousness, vinyana namarupa, salayatana, pasavedana, and so forth, down to sokaparitevat, and it's the in the grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish, or suffering. So the aim is to <clears throat> awaken to Dhamma, and, and so we're not operating from avicca anymore. We can still operate from avicca, even though we're Buddhist monks, you know, so we we always trying to become things, trying to get things we don't have, trying to get rid of things we have that we don't want uh, and so our attempts, uh, eager attempts to practice uh, can be uh, motivated by avicca and of course that's always going to end up in some kind of grief or despair or disappointment. So the important, this is how I see it, is, is to get through this, to, to not operate from a vicha, but from the present moment, from the empty, from consciousness that is no longer uh, limited by ignorance and attachment to sankharas or conditions. And of course that is uh, sati sampachanya sati panya. So this, uh, and my own insights into this is that this is the only possible escape hatch we have in this realm is through sati sambhachanya. There's no other way. You can't get it through refining consciousness, you know, through the conditions, through the jhanas, through refining uh, conditioned phenomena. Uh, 
you know, as long as there's conditioned phenomena and you still cling to it out of ignorance, no matter how beautiful or refined it might be, it's still, you still have the basic problem is the avicca, not understanding, not seeing Dhamma. So in this uh, Thai forest tradition, the, the, the uh, mantra puto is, I found very helpful because it's uh, the Buddha's name and uh, it can be used as, to tranquilize the mind. You know, it's a good practice of samatha to, to just uh, stop the, the uh, wandering mind uh, through thinking, through just internalizing puto puto as, as, a, as a word just to stop the wandering in thought, the, the proliferating thought tendencies and habits that we have. Like Lung Pa Cha, when he said, he told me in the beginning, he said, if, if you're going to think, think puto. He said, don't think about anything else. And of course, I'm a, you know I'm a person that likes to think and and um, would like to figure everything out with thought, um, but with all the best attempts, still uh, even if you figure it all out with thought, you still suffer because the vicha is still there. So it's 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 a it's a kind of imminent reality of awakened attention in the present. It's merely the, the ability we have to pay attention, to be attentive, to be awake, to be open, receptive in the present. So, at this present moment when we're sitting here, then we have, you know, we can focus on an object like samatha. Uh, meditations are always focusing on, us, on, on an object. We limit ourselves to one object and focus on that, and that's like fixing your attention on a point, concentrating on one point, uh, an object, in order to uh, shut out everything else. So it's a it's a kind of samatha practice, concentration practice, and you have to get rid of, you have to ignore, dismiss, repress everything else, in order to just absorb and and concentrate on the one point. Then there's, then there's uh, Satisampatanya, which is, is um, the kind of this broad, open perspective in the present moment. So I, I like to I use these words like the point that excludes and the point that includes. Because a point doesn't have to, doesn't necessarily have to be a dot. It can, be the whole thing at this moment. This, this, the point. The point that includes means that, that that we're allowing everything to be what it is like in the present. It is the way it is. You know that includes the village noises, the gunshots, the music, <laughs> the heat, the, all the monks, and everything else is. Everything at this moment belongs here because it's here. You know, so this is the point of including 
and and so th this is for reflection you know do we have to exclude the world in order to escape it or is the real path not excluding the world but including inclusive so this is a like a, a conundrum I know from my own experiments that that practicing in order to get rid of the world to suppress it to to uh, control my conscious experience on one point has you know it's had certain advantages but it, it's not an escape hatch it's just a temporary uh, state that uh, you know you can't sustain for that long but the point that includes then is always including everything wherever you are whatever state your mind your body is in and the conditions you find yourself in so that's this is the, the kind of vipassana style of sama uh, Sama Samadhi, where you, it's an inclusive, there is Sama Vayamo, Sama Sati, Sama Samadhi. Now I used to, because I figured this out before I actually could do it, I used to practice a lot just trying to open up to the present moment. And so I'd use things like just be here and now and say things like the way it is but also it's it's a kind of relaxed state it's not a rigid intense forced sense of concentration in order to include everything at this moment it's it's a kind of relaxed attention it's not a dull kind of you just include everything and fall asleep but you you're attentive but you're not forcing you're not forcing the mind to concentrate on one object. So everything that's happening in this moment that we're experiencing, they belongs here. And I found this very helpful living in situations where you have very little control over the conditions around you. If you're living in Bangkok or London or places like that, you know, how, how can you demand, you know, the, the London shut up and be quiet so I can do my samatha practice. Or even in the forests in Thailand or even in England, you know, there's, there's always something uh, to disrupt or uh, annoy or irritate. Unless you get, you know, a, a sensory deprivation tank or a completely black, dark cave but then you're you're making conditions for your practice. You have to have special conditions that control, so you you are not irritated by any external harsh and external impingement. But even in a dark cave, you know where there's nothing, no sound coming in and no light, you still your mind goes on. You know your your consciousness and all. The, I found uh, the first three months of my meditation in Nongkai when I was a Samanera uh, was, you know, I was all alone 
in a kuti. I didn't talk to anyone and I bring the food, but I was, you know, I tried to practice samatha meditation, trying to control consciousness. But when you're all alone 24 hours a day and with yourself and nothing to do, and, and, but just try to repress everything, you, you know, you can only do that so long and then you, you can't do it anymore. So it's a matter of, of opening up to the present conditions as they happen to arise. Well, I found that uh, much, I was 30, 30 years old, 31 years old, and, and I'm from a, a social background that was very repressive. <clears throat> so they were never allowed to show anger and things. So we, you learn how to suppress you know, I was clever enough to where I learned how to suppress feelings uh, because that was what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to show anger towards your mother or father or uh, you're supposed to, you know, you have these ideas of what good boys should be and respecting their parents. And in order to perform that role, and a lot of things had to be reduced and repressed. Uh, and these started coming up. In, in those uh, first three months, uh, anger, resentment, states of mind that uh, I had never really recognized before. I used to have this opinion you know, before I ordained that I was a fairly nice guy, really, kind of, you know, good-natured, uh, kind kind of person and uh, then being alone with myself I found some of the thoughts uh, emotions that would arose were shocking to me because I thought that old image of myself as being a good guy it's not true <laughs> only a bad guy could be thinking like this but somehow or other the situation in the trust in Dhamma, I already had a lot of faith in Dhamma, so I stayed with it. And eventually, these kind of dark things manifested, came up, and then I just let them go. I couldn't control them, I didn't suppress them. They were, it's like a purifying, purifying experience. Rather than driving me crazy uh, and making me, you know, disrobe, actually it was like uh, like purifying, like an, a mental enema. What comes out is is rather disgusting, but it's also purifying the, the mind. And then after three months, I woke up one morning and the mind was absolutely luminous. There was no, you know, I, was, uh, I couldn't, all these, these dark things were gone. So I was in a state of, like, sobhanajitta, kind of state of, of uh, consciousness that was uh, luminous and beautiful. But Avicca was still there, so I, thought, I immediately thought, you know, I'm enlightened. Three months, I'm enlightened. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's Avicca. <a> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to find out later that I wasn't. But it, it was a, a you know, a, a unique experience. Because I never had that experience before, where where your mind, you know, your consciousness is still operating, you know, you're alert, you're not in a trance. But there's no sense of a self. It's very light and buoyant feeling. Everything was touched by luminosity. So I was in this kuti, uh, not, you know, it's a pretty rough kind of kuti, anything but beautiful. But it looked beautiful with this mind like this. Everything was, was beautiful. The, the Hongnam, the toilet was beautiful. <laughs> and then I realized it's the mind that's beautiful. You know, it's, it's that, that, that it's a, a purity of consciousness is beautiful. It has luminosity, it's radiant. But a vicha, when that is the cause, when we start with a vicha, then we don't know that. We always, a vicha, bhajaya, sankara, sankara, bhajaya, vinyana. So then our consciousness always is, is being affected and conditioned by a vicha. So, anyway, the encouragement is to investigate these three fetters, not from a personal perspective, like I'm investigating three fetters, but deliberately create yourself, but listen to it, like, like you know, if you're just trying to, to suppress self-views and, and sakya ditti, it doesn't work. It's another kind of sakyaditi. It just becomes more confused and complicated. So the self needs to be recognized. And this was my insight, was that to create sakyaditi, I have to think and I have to attach to these thoughts. Believe in what I'm thinking. Believe the thoughts I have. Uh, unquestionably operate from sakyaditi or avijja. And then that then that always ends up as never being quite sure where I am, what I've done, if I'm right or wrong, <clears throat> whether I'm getting anywhere or not, or if I'm doing it right, or, you know, so there's always this sense of doubt as a result of avicca, which is another form of dukkha, for suffering. Because in this kind of doubting state that's caused through Avicca, through grasping our thinking process, our views and opinions. Test it out, just see, you know, notice also that, that just I am, it's before you even think the word I, you just notice in when you're determined to think, you know, I just say these two words. Before you think I, there's a kind of empty space. You know, a pause, isn't it? And you kind of note that, that empty free state before you think, intentionally think I, is like this. 
Uh, and so you're beginning to notice before you think I, the, the space before that, that word, and then think I, and then there's another gap. So I used to practice really uh, noting these gaps between words. Or in, uh, you know, just in, uh, I did a lot of meditation on space, visual space. Because when, when I was at Wapapo years ago, you know, I started forming views and opinions about different monks. So, you know, I, as I got to know the monks and I had my own views about, this is a good monk, this isn't such a good monk. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I thought, you know, that I sit, sit with these monks every day, every morning, every evening, in the morning, evening chanting, and I still see them in terms of Sakyadidi personalities and my own particular judgments of them. So I started just practicing awareness around the space between monks. I wouldn't pay attention to the individual monks, you know, the, this monk or that monk, but the space between, it's there, you know, you just have to look. And and just changing from this habitual sense of um, me making value judgments about others and liking or disliking others uh, and creating these, you know, I'm creating personalities in my mind about these monks. So the space is pretty much, you know, between one monk and the next is, is, has nothing but space. It has no quality to it. It's not Ajahn this or whatever, you know, it's not, it has, it's not a bhikkhu, it's not a samanera. So it, just be, beginning to notice, so you're, you're consciously determining uh, gaps and spaces. This works on a visual level, but then on a mental level, you know, with with the thinking process, this recognition of the before gap, when you before I, and then there's a gap, and then am, and then there's a space. But then we tend to fill it up. I am Arjun Samedo, I've done this, I've done that. And we go on in proliferating about uh, my history, my all the things I've done or haven't done, <laughs> my views and opinions, and that's that creation out of ignorance. That Ajahn's Medo is that proliferating habit is is created by avicca, and it always ends up as dukkha. Now the other part of Patitya Samupada is uh, what? Patiloma? The Niroda part. So these these apply to the to the second and third noble truths. You know, like you, in order to investigate the second noble truth, it's the Anuloma, where you, you start with the Vicha Bhajya Sankara. And then it, it reads, you know, that ends up with Sokapayate with Tukatoma Narupayan. And then the Niroda side is where the avicca's gone. So everything ceases when there's no avicca. The whole thing collapses. And that's neuroda. 
and and by and that's observable. I mean, it's recognizable, Naroda. <clears throat> so you don't kind of drop dead or you know go unconscious, but there's still consciousness operating. There's mindfulness, but there's also discernment of non-attachment, uh, non abhicha uh, not abhicha means ignorance bicha means knowing knowledge inside so these um, I found all these teachings so helpful because uh, they're really brilliant you know they got Four Noble Truths but teach us Samupada, you've got the ten fetters, the four stages, you know, like stream entry is is that insight where there is that moment where there's no Sakyaditi, Sila Bhattabharama, Savichi Kicha, there's no Avicha. So it's a recognized, you recognize the path. And all the personal <laughs> you know, you don't create, you know, when the, the following ones, like Sakadakami, Anakami, Anahat, these are, you know, like uh, Sakadakami, you still have uh, lust and, and anger or aversion. But these are natural conditions. These are not, you know, the sexual desire and anger are a primal kind of they come with the package they're not they're not about culture or personality anymore or language they're they're energies survival mechanisms they're for pro, like sexual desires for procreating the species and anger and fear are kind of are kind of primal uh, survival mechanisms that all animals have you know so then but with Sakyaditi, Silapata Paramasa, Vijikicha, we make these very personal all the time. My sexual desires, my anger, my fears, everything becomes personalized and then it, and then it's a Vija and then it always leads to suffering. So the important issue is to see through these created, human created conditions you know, not not to not not to, to get rid of them, but to understand. So you're no longer coming from a vicha. You can still think I am, you know, and use language and and operate from uh, social conventions and so forth. But the difference lies that there's uh, there's vicha rather than a vicha. So Ajahn Chah was was always emphasizing samutsacha, baramatta sacha. Samutsacha is a, is the conventional realities that we have to use, you know, in in society and in the world we live in. And then, Paramatrasacha is ultimate reality. Now, the great thing is that we can actually recognize ultimate reality as human individuals. If not, if not, kind of beyond our abilities and, the, and but it's it's clearly uh, stated clearly spelled out in these Pali teachings in the suttas 
They couldn't, you know, I'm, after 46 Panzas, I'm still absolutely, uh, totally impressed with the Buddha's wisdom because uh, these teachings are incredibly practical. They're not just high-minded, idealized, uh, uh, you know, philosophies. Uh, uh, or they're not, they're not, you know, based on something that is so remote, so refined that we can never possibly do it. It's based on just the reality of here and now and human suffering and how to use that suffering in order to be free from attachment to it. And this realm that we actually live in is a realm of suffering. It's about death. We're all going to die and we all have to lose the, our loved ones. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Many people don't like that reflection. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will be mine forever and ever, and will never be separated from me. <laughs> Is, I think, the Western mindset. <laughs> Make me live forever, and all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will be mine forever. But this is a reflective teaching, isn't it? All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. It's just pointing at the reality of change and this realm so that we awaken to the way things are, not try to create uh, an illusory uh, heavenly realm that can only end up in suffering anyway because it will be terribly disappointed because reality is not like that. It's not heaven. It's like this. And this reality then isn't the isn't just the sankara's changing, but it includes the awareness of change, the deathless or the the uh, amata dhamma. So our refuge then is in amata dhamma or deathless reality, rather than in in just kind of a resignation to old age, sickness, and death in some kind of uh, negative way. So anyway, I'll stop here. I get going. I get very enthusiastic about this. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing that I find interesting these days. It is, but you know, you, you, it's, you can prove it, you know, it's not just, you know, high-minded thinking or, you know, living in a, in, you know, in a cloud nine. It's, it's, it deals with the realities of, of my own aging body and the experience that I'm involved in. And then, uh, you know, like in the West, people have very strong opinions uh, about everything. And so, you know, we're very, we're, we're supposed to have opinions about things we may know nothing about. At least my generation was. Remember in university, you know, I felt I had to have opinion about everything, even though I 
didn't know most of the things they were talking about, but I could have an opinion. So that, that's a, a very strong sense of self, having to have a, a, a point of view, having or having to be right. You know, always having, feeling I might be wrong, always having to be right. My view is the right, my attitude is the right attitude, my way is the right way. So, this is, you know, can be put in this category of Sakya Ditti. And and then it's not to be despised, but to be recognized. It's, It's listening to... Now, you know, like in, in, uh, in, in the West, they, they have such high-minded uh, ideas. They, they attach to very high uh, concepts. So it's like freedom, democracy, equality. Uh, you know, all these things are very inspiring as ideals. How things should be. We should all love each other and be kind and we should all support each other in the Dhamma and we should never hurt or harm or hate or insult each other we should always have metta for all creatures and we should <laughs> and these are these are very high-minded ideals but the way it is it's not about becoming uh, high-minded but awakened to the reality of being that having the karma that you have, the way your mind works, you know, the, your body, your feelings, your emotions are like this. It's not justifying or uh, anything, it's really recognizing sankaras as impermanent. And, and we all have to learn from the way we are. You can't learn like, you know, you, I can't be Ajahn Chah or Lumpur Liam or anything like that. I've got to learn from this thing here. And I thought that I always, you know, I'm very self-critical as a Sakya Ditti personality. So I'd like to, you know, been more like Lungpa Cha, actually. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't the karma I had to live with. I was like this, you know, in whatever forms that takes. But this awareness, this is the escape hatch. So in uh, this, uh, in the Dimana Sutta, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Therefore, there is an escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. It says so in the Dimana Sutta. There's an escape from the created, the formed, the born, the conditioned. Because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. You can't conceive, like these words, unborn, uncreated, you can't conceive anything, can you? My mind goes blank. Try to conceive unborn, uncreated with your thinking mind. All you can do is negate created, all you can say is uncreated. But you can't form a picture, an image, it has no color. So it, it's not about conditioned phenomena. That all, conditioned phenomena always has shape, form, size, texture, color. Has some form of shape. 
has some quality like smell, taste or touch but unborn, uncreated and that that's like a koan it stops the thinking mind you can't you can't think anymore like Lung Po Chao used to say trying to solve the think about anatta will your head will explode trying to analyze and figure out anatta no self because this the thinking mind is born out of a vicha and it's and it depends on on that on a sense of me and mine and 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 form and uh, being blinded by the form being identified with form nama rupa salayatana pasavedana dana upatam and then it goes into tati jaramarana sokaparitewa tukatomara upayan well, this is like learning to to really test your mind out you know they the created the there is the born that the created the born the form the condition you can create anything with that you can create any like abstract forms or you can make uh, definite forms of microphones and men and women and so forth they all have their def- defined forms you can make fantasy forms colors mixed colors and create textures and do all kinds of things with with the four elements earth fire water and air with the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, the thinking mind stops. And to know that when there's no thought is like this. No, you can recognize. And it's like gum note rule in the, in the in the Thai term to really notice this, because it happens all the time, but we never notice it, because we're always going from one thing to the next so so this mindfulness then allows us to notice the gaps in space between monks uh, notice the space between this row and the next row it's just you know it, it doesn't sound like much but it's actually you're actually informing consciousness with this kind of knowledge space is here and now it doesn't have any quality other than being spacious and it's, it doesn't have any personality it doesn't belong it's not mine or yours and then uh, in consciousness is one of the unlimited things so it, it you know when you're conscious then then you, with sati and sampatanya you can actually observe form uh, arise and cease conditions arise and cease and then you notice the presence and the absence of conditions in consciousness this is an example of that example of I am sounds too simple doesn't it but uh, you've got to start out from something kind of basic so I create I and am and between those two words is a space 
and before and after. And so you're, you're actually informing. You're, you're, if you do this, then your mindfulness will connect, you know, rather than just kind of sporadic flashes of insight. You're, you're, you know, you can, your mindfulness can sustain itself because it's natural. Mindfulness is not created. We don't create mindfulness. I can't make myself be mindful as a person, but I can be mindful through letting go of conditions and 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 uh, investigating yoni so manasikara. So I offer this as a reflection. <laughs>